Calling all Quakers. Quaker Nation is a weekly podcast hosted by myself, Nikki Belgrad, and my good friend, Joey Pyatt. With the COVID-19 pandemic sealing a year of competition for the Ivy League, athletes, students, and coaches alike are eager to return to action and crown a champion at the end of the season. We personally could not be more grateful for the return of sports and hope to be the spokespeople for the Quaker Nation this upcoming season, keeping you in the loop with all things red and blue. Every Wednesday, Nikki and I sit down to chat about what's what and who's who in Penn Sports, but it doesn't stop there as we will also talk about all things sport. And when you thought it couldn't get any better, we will bring you exclusive interviews with guests including Penn students, players, coaches, and alumni, as well as members of the Daily Pennsylvania Sports Department. Our guests will provide insight into the broader arc of team seasons and we'll talk about the sports world at large. The podcast is segment-based, meaning each week we'll feature two or three varying segments. In our concluding segment, we make predictions for Penn football games, tally up our season betting results, announce playoff predictions, and do over-unders on season win totals. And last but not least, each week concludes with the latest on both the Cleveland Browns, led by Penn alumnus, head coach, and yes, future Super Bowl champion Kevin Stefanski, in addition to the Memphis Grizzlies, led by the NBA's third youngest coach, the terrifying, the terrible... Tony Taylor Jenkins. Okay, welcome to Quaker Nation. Um, This is the first segment that we're ever going to be recording. We're going to be doing an around the horn of... Penn sports and uh, basically looking at the state of each team right now in the season um, for many sports we're about halfway through in the seasons which is unbelievable and Ivy League play is just getting started for a lot of teams so I think the main story and takeaway for me is that a lot of our teams are sort of getting back into the flow of things and a lot of times our I don't know their mind gets ahead of their body perhaps a little bit where they're eager to be back on the field but you know they just haven't had a lot of training recently Sorry, they've had a lot of training recently, but they haven't had a lot of in-person play at all. Um, and obviously that like game speed, competitive nature of the game is way different than playing against your teammates and stuff like that, even when you're trying to replicate that environment. Um, but yeah, Joey. Yeah, I think you're right, Nikki. I mean, we obviously the Ivy League is pretty, pretty alone in their decision to cancel the 2020 season. And we've been in pretty deep in non-conference play. And so all these teams that Penn has been playing have been, you know, the full season last year, they had a full off season. They had all that time to be together. All their sophomores had a full freshman year to play. And like our sophomores had like a spring where they had some Zoom meetings. They came on and had like a few spring practices. And now they're kind of like jumping right into it. Like with a brief preseason, it's only like two or three weeks. Some of the players are from, you know, coming from international. So they're trying to get accustomed to a culture, a new school, playing with their team. So it's a different style of play. So it's just been them getting used to it. And for the most part, they've done pretty well in non-conference play. But the Ivy League is going to be the real barometer of like where these teams are at. Yeah. And I think just adding on to like the oddities of the teams, it's like, you know, there's a new freshman and a new sophomore class. And not only that, but a lot of the captains on these teams, seniors and these graduate students have either not really even started in their games um, as like freshmen and sophomores or just haven't even played with any of these members of the team. So all around, people are kind of just getting used to each other, I think. Um, and yeah, as we start Ivy League play, we'll we'll get a barometer exactly like you're saying for how these teams are actually, how, how good they are, um, quite frankly. Yeah. So I think we should jump right into it. Start with men's soccer. Yeah, let's um, get into it. So men's soccer, I've had a really exciting uh, experience with them so far this season. They've had a lot of strong home performances. They're also about to start Ivy League play. Um, and then, you know, the theme for all these teams is going to be the Ivy League games. Um, the, the, she- the seasons are a lot shorter than one actually expects. And basically halfway through the season right now with the remaining of their games um, against the Ivy League, they had some tough road losses, um, particularly against Rutgers early on and, an, and a close game against Penn State at home. But... 
I think these close games and losing them will hopefully just add to their experience going on to the later games because they're really going to need to clinch out the tough Ivy League road games if they want to have any chance at getting a title. Um, but um, they have strong offensive play right now. Joey Bankdia, Matt Lee, they each have three goals for the team. Um, and another glue piece for the offense has been senior Ben Stitz, who has six assists and two goals, and he leads the team in points. Yeah, um, Nikki, you've you've seen this team play. You've gone to a lot of their games. Have you seen, like, I mean, statistically it looked pretty good, but what have you seen from the team in terms of decision-making, how they're playing, like, early in the game, how do they fare? Like, do they get better as the game goes on? What have you been seeing from them so far? Yeah, honestly, um, they need to capitalize late in games. A lot of times they have leads, um, and I think they start getting away from themselves um, and sort of not running their offense. They're sort of getting, trying to play keep away and trying to play with time on their side. But I honestly don't think that's an effective strategy for them a lot of the times. Um, They're super fortunate, though, to have a great defense and two great upperclassmen goalies. They've been uh, alternating between them. One of them is Dane Jacobin, who has four starts and 16 saves. And the other is Nick Christofferson, who has three starts and seven saves. And so it's definitely interesting to see when Coach Brian Gill... um, decides to start one versus the other. But yeah, I think back to your point, it's really just about closing games. Um, and I think they really have a lot of talented players. You know, Joey Bangdia, he's coming back as a graduate student. Um, he's really been, I think, the main focal point for the offense. He's always a threat when he's on the field. Um, but yeah, I think they really just need to get better at closing games. Um, and they're fortunate that they're they're going to be in most games because of that strong defense and their strong goalkeepers. Um, but it'll definitely see interest, be interesting to see how their offense continues to gel and whether they can really get it going before Ivy League play. Yeah, men's soccer is one of the teams I'm not quite sure about. I feel like we know the least about them out of all the fall sports almost because they haven't really played any huge ranked teams. I mean, they played Monmouth that won the division last year. They played Penn State, which is obviously a good Big Ten program, but we haven't seen them going against ranked teams like we have field hockey, women's soccer. So I feel like Ivy League's play is going to be really telling for this men's soccer team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think they have about eight more games left in the season, seven of which are almost, uh, yeah, seven of which are in the Ivy League. So we're really going to see how they fare. And, you know, even if we're... You know, losing non-conference games, I think the conference games are obviously just the ones that count. And if you can win the Ivy League, that's, you know, an accomplishment in itself. So I think that's all they need to do is win those Ivy League games. Um, yeah, I agree. That's the goal for all these teams is the Ivy League. Yeah, but on the other side of things, though, Joey, could you talk about women's soccer a little bit and how their season's been going? Yeah, so women's soccer has been pretty interesting so far. I mean, they've had pretty strong non-conference performance on the whole. I mean, we've, we've seen them, you know, win some good games, win some, you know, lose some tough ones, but they're a pretty young team. Like, they have a lot of sophomores, which, like Nikki said earlier, this sophomore class is almost like a freshman class. You know, they had this preseason. They got to have a little bit last year of team meetings and stuff, so they knew their team, but they weren't playing together. Um, I mean, their, their goalkeeper is a sophomore and she's done really well. Um, you have some upperclassmen like Peyton Ron has been really phenomenal from the defense. She's played like almost every minute of every game. You have Lauren Teichel, another sophomore who's been playing a lot. Um, so they're a really young team, unlike some of the other Penn teams we're seeing where like football, we'll talk about them a lot later, uh, where they use a lot of upperclassmen. But women's soccer is pretty young and a lot of these players are making a lot of impact. Like Lauren Teichel leads the team in points, you know, as a sophomore and she's come on. She was Ivy League player of the week a few weeks ago. And so women's soccer is really... I don't know. They're a team that I think could be good this year in the Ivy League, but I think that they also, you know, have to win some of those key games. We saw them drop their opening Ivy League contest against Harvard. I mean, Harvard is nationally ranked, but I think they're going to have to win games like that later on if they want to win the Ivy League. Yeah. Um, Joey, I got to throw a couple of stats in you because I I have my own doubts about women's soccer this season. So sophomore Lawrence Gladue, uh, sophomore goalkeeper, had 11 saves in that. And I can't even decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, they lost that game 3-0 to Harvard. They got outshot 23-5. to 
So I don't know, Joey, tell me why I shouldn't be worried about that result, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a lot of, you know, that was a lot of grit by Lawrence. I mean, that was a great performance, you know, to have those 11 saves. And I, I mean, we did, um, after talking to a coach, we had our, in our recap, you know, she said like, you know, don't be, you know, a 3-0 score is not always a success for a goalie, but you know, 11 saves when you're getting outshot 23-5, that's more of a, you know, Harvard was just controlling them. You know, Harvard was physical. Um, they have, Harvard has really good players. I mean, they're obviously a really good team nationally ranked, but I think that Harvard probably wins this conference. You know, they probably win the Ivy League, but Penn will be right up there. But this is a young team. This is a team that probably is playing for the future a little more. Once, like, these sophomores are, you know, juniors and seniors, and you have that core group meshing together next year, that's when I'll be really excited about this team. But this year, I think I think they're still a step behind Harvard. I mean, Harvard controlled the ball. I mean, Penn would have moments where they had, you know, good breaks, but then, you know, the ball would be taken away, and all of a sudden, Harvard slipped the field in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think one statistic that jumps out to me is in 2019 that they they entered Ivy League play with a similar record as they have right now, about five two and one. Um, but they finished the, the season losing their last three Ivy League games, and so they, you know they finished above 500. But like ultimately, same recurring uh, string through all these uh, teams is that you know they need to finish against Ivy League opponents and finish strong. Um, yeah, and I mean that's a good point because like Ivy League play is where it can fall apart really quickly. I mean in a non-conference play you can drop a game and then kind of rebound pretty quickly, but once you're in the Ivy League, if, if you're dropping a game, especially if it's a game against a team you expected to beat, it's really easy to fall behind and all of a sudden find yourself with you know a three and four conference record or two and five conference record, and you're well out of the picture of winning yeah, the conference. Exactly. With only seven games, it's you know every single game matters even more so. Um, yeah. Okay. So now let's transition to field hockey a little bit. They're another team that's had sort of a bumpy start. They've played five top 25 opponents, two of them ranked within the top 10, um, bunch of really tough teams. And so they're sort of sitting right at 500, right on the cusp of, you know, beating the teams that they should, but sort of losing to the teams that they should lose to as well. So I, for me, it's really, it's, if it's possible for this team to catch fire at the right moment. Um, they have a lot of Ivy league play to finish up the season recurring theme, of course. Um, but yeah, they're going to need to win these games. They have a lot of road games against tough opponents. And so I think they definitely have the, the capability of finishing the season strong, but it's all about just catching fire at the right moment and continuing with that momentum. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, just like women's soccer, I think field hockey is right there in tier two with Ivy League. I mean, you have Princeton, once again, nationally ranked similar to Harvard in women's soccer, where Princeton's kind of, you know, steps ahead of this, this team, which the field hockey team is also pretty. I mean, in the goalkeeper, the one that's been getting the most minutes, um, Sabine, she has been, she's played the most, but she's only a sophomore. And like, like we said, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you're almost like a freshman at that point um, this year with the way that the coronavirus yeah. played things out. But I think this team has to win those games, especially against ha- teams like Harvard um, that are going to be tougher to win in the Ivy League if they want to, you know, finish second or even, you know, if they want to overcome Princeton. Yeah. Um, and now we're going to talk about women's volleyball, the source of much controversy in recent years. Joey, you want to talk a little bit about that team and their current state of affairs? Yeah, volleyball has been one of the biggest, like in terms of like off the court, off the field stuff and what's been going on with that program. Um, we had a lot of coverage, you know, about some of the scandals they had with former coach Ian Braddock. Um, and, and the team has largely put that behind them. You know, they moved on. A lot of those players... Um, most of them graduated, uh, but even in 2019, their season before the rest of the, the teams had their seasons canceled for coronavirus. Uh, women's volleyball had their season canceled. There were some you know offensive posters found in the locker room. Season was canceled with a few. Um, there's only one or two games left in the year, but it was still kind of you know big news. Um, the team brought in a new coach, Meredith Shamoon, in her first season. And she has quite the challenge. I mean, this is a volleyball team that, you know, already kind of struggled in the Ivy League. They weren't one of the top teams in the Ivy League in 2019 or in 2018. And it's kind of a team that's kind of lost their mojo on the court and kind of off the court. So I think she has, um, she's de- they're definitely in a rebuild for sure. I think, you know, a lot of the, they have some great players like Autumn Leak has been phenomenal this season. Um, senior captain Margaret, Margaret Palanik has been great too, but 
I think this is a team that's largely rebuilding. I think, you know, Coach Shamu is really trying to build the culture for the future, trying to build up a program where, you know, they just have a better culture. I think things have been a mess for volleyball. Things have been really chaotic. And I think it's been hard for them to kind of focus and, and hopefully she can turn it around because I mean, they're, they opened the season strong. They started out pretty well at the Sheridan University Volleyball Invitational. You know, they swept that. And now, um, you know, they're pretty mired in losing ways. They've really struggled, um, especially to start out Ivy play. And, you know, the Ivy League has some pretty good volleyball schools, none nationally ranked. Um, but still, Princeton has been a team that's had Penn's number for years. Harvard's beaten them. So it's going to be tough, especially because volleyball, you know, plays Princeton twice. They play Harvard twice. Like some of these other sports, they only play the teams once. But I mean, volleyball has to go up against them twice. And that's going to get, it could get pretty ugly for them down the Ivy League stretch. But once again, this is a team that's probably also playing for the future. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned that losing streak. It's seven games right now. Um, and you look at the remainder of the schedule, like you said, Ivy League, Ivy League, Ivy League, Ivy League, all the way from start to finish. So for them, it's really about turning it around immediately. Um, I think for them, you know, it's, if this season is going to have any hope, it's it, now is the time for sure. But um, yeah, like you said, I think a lot of it is about reestablishing the culture, reestablishing, you know, new players and, and sort of building a new identity with them. Um, it's a very young team, but yeah, hopefully they can get something going uh, quickly. Um, now, I guess to sadder state of affairs a little bit, men's, or er, er, sorry. Now to turning to a little bit of sadder state of affairs, football, uh, Drops to one and one on the season. They lose to Lafayette twenty-four to fourteen. It's their first loss to a Patriot League team since twenty sixteen. Joey, talk to me about uh, watching this game. Yeah, I, I watched this game, and it was you know a game that Penn was supposed to win, and a game that Penn probably could have won. I mean, I think Penn was the better team. Um, clearly, I think even watching the game, even though it was a sloppy game for Penn, I think that everyone you know thought Penn was the better team. The defense looked good. Um, the final score shows you know Lafayette having a little more points than they did, but. The defenses really look strong this year. They held Bucknell 26 points. Uh, they held Lafayette for the most part. Lafayette was able to flip the field a little bit on a couple turnovers. So I think that that kind of skewed the defensive stats a little bit. So I think the defense has been encouraging. It's just they've had a lot of trouble. They had a lot of bad snaps. Um, there was a snap to the punter who you know dropped it, and all of a sudden you know they flipped. The, Lafayette's flipped the field. They're in scoring territory. They're able to get an easy touchdown. Uh, there are a couple errant snaps to the quarterback John Canelli. Um, but I think this is a team that is really, it's an old team. I mean, John Canelli, you know, he's a grad student, a lot of their offensive players, you have grad student running back, Isaiah Malcolm, you have veteran receivers, uh, and Craig and Starkey. But I think it's a team that, for the most part, lacks some experience. You know, Canelli's in his first season as a starter, and you can kind of see that sometimes. You know, he'll make an overthrow or he'll he'll make a questionable decision, and that's not necessarily a knock on his talent. I think he's a good football player, but I think it's a knock on, you know, he just doesn't have the experience, which sounds kind of weird to say for a senior, but... Um, this is kind of been a theme for Penn quarterbacks where they come in kind of late in their careers and haven't had that experience. So they're kind of struggling with the decision making early on in the year. And I think that that can hurt them, especially in the short Ivy League season. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, there's a recurring theme where a lot of the graduate students and the seniors of the, on the team who are captains and who are looked to as sort of leaders, you know, Prince Emilie, Brian O'Neill, guys like that. Um, they haven't really seen a lot of action, you know, necessarily in, in freshman and sophomore years. But especially this year, we see that because the freshman and the sophomore classes are both new, it's just like a matter of gelling. These people have not really played together at all. It's been their first, you know, in-person games in, you know, in their collegiate career. So um, I think for them, it's unfortunate that they sort of have to learn through their actual games. Um, they don't really have time because Ivy League play is going to open up very soon for them. Um, and there's some very, very strong teams. But I think there are definitely encouraging elements. Um, 
on defense, you know, they look good. They've had some big plays, but it really needs to be more a matter of not making defensive blunders and making defensive plays, uh, flipping the script a little bit. They let up a 70 yard touchdown, which was a huge momentum swing. Um, and so that kind of put the game away for for Penn. Um, they weren't really even able to rebound from that. But, you know, Prince Emilio, who I mentioned, he has three sacks through two games. Uh, Brian O'Neill, the center of their linebacking core, he had nine tackles and led the team again. Um, and you know, offensively, they're definitely clicking. Um, talk a little bit about uh, Starkly. Sorry, yeah, Starkly and Cragen. Yeah, I mean, those two guys have been really, really important for the team. Cragen was the 21st player in program history to reach 1,000 career receiving yards. That he did that at Lafayette. Um, so early in the season, I mean, he's been a big part of the team. He was a big breakout. Um, and then obviously, you know, the lost season. Um, but Cragen and Starkey are really good. Um, Starkey did have a tough drop at Lafayette, you know, on a deep pass from Kennelly. It was a tough catch. Um, you know, mistakes like that are going to happen, especially early in the year. It's not a knock on him. He actually had a really huge game, probably the biggest of his career, catching two touchdown passes over 100 yards receiving. Those guys are really good. And, and like I said, Kennelly, I'm not going to knock him because, you know, he's he's pretty inexperienced for being, even though he's a senior, um, he's just getting in game action. He's made some really great throws and placed the ball really well at times. I think it's like, like you said, it's just unfortunate that they're kind of having to work through some of these bumps and they don't have the advantage of a lot of non-conference games before they get an Ivy play. I mean, they're jumping uh, the third game of the season is Dartmouth and Dartmouth is, you know, reigning Ivy League champs and Dartmouth is a very good team um, that would make you pay for mistakes. So Penn, definitely, I think for Coach Priori, I think the the goal for him is going to be to keep this team to not make mistakes, you know, don't do anything that's going to hurt their own chances. I think that there are lots of good teams in Ivy League, like you said, and I think this Penn team is a good football team, but I think that they might make mistakes that could hurt them later in the year. Um, just because, like you said, it's a lack of experience, um, despite them being older. But I think for the most part, we've seen a lot of encouraging signs from Penn. It's just, which makes it all the more frustrating sometimes when we have exactly. some of those mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, the defense definitely has the, the potential to be a stabilizing force to, to really get the offense time and possessions every single game to, to get their mojo clicking. I think for me, you mentioned the coaching. I think uh, play action, putting uh, Quinelli in, in positions where he can make easy decisions, where it's not necessarily, you know, everything's on him. He needs to make a play, but I think it's more, you know, running the offense. If, you know, we don't make a play, if there's a three and out, and for, you know, some reason, someone makes a mistake, that's okay. We need to continue running our offense in that fashion. It can't always be overreacting to what to the offense just did on their last possession, you know, trying to make a play. Um, and I think, you know, he mentioned after the game that he, he tried to do a little bit too much at times, but, you know, that happens. Um, and that that's honestly a good sign, I think, in many regards. Um, you know, he's young and he's still learning, so hopefully he can correct those mistakes in the future for sure. But um, yeah, like you mentioned there, they're playing Dartmouth, um, which is a big game. And, and zooming out uh, for Ivy League football at, at large, they went a 3-1 and in non-conference play this week. Harvard picked up right where they left off. They thrashed Brown 49-17. to um, Their head coach, Tim Murphy, is now first all-time for Ivy League wins. They put up a 35-point second quarter. The score is 42-0 to zero at halftime. Um, five rushing touchdowns. Yeah, and then, you know, talking about Princeton and Dartmouth, two other teams that, along with Harvard, are going to be big games for Penn and pretty tough opponents and, and contenders in the Ivy League for sure. Dartmouth took care of business. Um, and, you know, they played Valpo, and then they beat them, and then they beat Sacred Heart and kind of, you know, thrashed them as 41-3. And obviously, Penn has them under the lights. Uh, and then Harvard, you know, like you said, took care of business. And then Princeton, just having those shutouts. I mean, they beat Stetson 63 nothing, Lehigh 32 nothing. They had, you know, didn't let up a touchdown in those first two non-conference games. And I think, I know they have Monmouth later in the year to wrap up their non-conference. But I think this Princeton team is going to be a team that's definitely going to, uh, you know, beat the Browns and the Cornells of the division. I think we'll see probably Brown and Cornell at the bottom of the division. 
Uh, but I think, you know, in terms of Columbia, Yale, uh, Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard, Penn, I mean, those guys, there are the favorites, you know, Dartmouth, Princeton, Harvard are probably the favorites to be atop the division, but I think that any of these teams can win it. I think it's just a matter of who's going to play the most complete, clean football. And right now, I think that would be a team like a Dartmouth or a team like Harvard that is complete, isn't making those mistakes. But that doesn't mean Penn can't do it. It means Penn just has to you know, figure things out a little sooner. Yeah. And we had a little bit of uh, Ivy League action. Um, Yale actually won a nail-biter over Cornell. They, they had three touchdowns scored in the final 75 seconds of play, which is absolutely insane. But, you know, I think, as you mentioned, some of these teams are, are more on the bottom uh, side of the Ivy League. And, you know, as Ivy League play uh, starts in these next couple of weeks, we'll sort of see the, the division sort of be rounding out, separating into those tiers like you mentioned with the Harvards, the Dartmouth and the Princeton at the top sort of middling is, is, you know, Penn and we're going to have to see how we perform against these uh, teams, but we certainly have the potential and we certainly, you know, need the experience I think is what's most important. Um, So we have a game this week, uh, against Dartmouth, which is going to be a big, big test for us. Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, Dartmouth is going to be a huge test. In 2019, um, similar situation. Penn was opening their Ivy League schedule uh, on under the lights on their Friday night game. The Ivy League does one for every team, ESPNU, 7 p.m. Uh, it was Franklin Field then. It's Franklin Field this year. So two years later, we're getting kind of the similar thing. And I feel like this, was, this is a team that's in a similar position, a team that we thought could be middling in the Ivy League just because there were some questions, especially around quarterback. I think there are some le- less questions. I think John Canelli is definitely uh, making the quarterback position a better spot than where it was in 2019. And I think this team is better than it was in 2019. I think the key is just going to be, can they play mistake-free football? Because I think the Dartmouth defense will will make them pay if they make mistakes or if they have some of those you know sloppy errors that they didn't sloppy at. I mean, they have to play a clean football game to win this. Dartmouth uh, is definitely the favorite. I don't, I don't think anyone's favoring Penn to go in, but that doesn't mean Penn can't do it. It just means they're going to have to play a perfect game. It's similar to when teams go to play Alabama, a team goes to play a team like Georgia. They know they have to play spotless, and, and if you make even the smallest mistake, they'll make you pay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for all these teams, you know, it's not impossible to, to be winning these games. Not at all. Everyone, every single one of these teams is talented. Um, they have great coaches. They definitely have the elements to, to get these wins. But it's really just a matter of putting it all together at the right time, catching fire, getting momentum and sort of just like, yeah, building building upon winning, really. Um, it's it's about establishing that winning culture. And so hopefully, you know, in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of years, we can really start establishing that once again. But yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the Ivy League, anyone can win on a given Saturday. I think the Ivy League is a lot more exciting than sometimes it gets credit for. I think there's a lot going on there. Last evening, Dartmouth and Penn met for the first time in two years. The game was broadcast on ESPNU. There are 8,000 people in attendance for the first game at Franklin Field in over two years against the same opponent that we had lost to two years ago, Dartmouth, the defending Ivy League champions who you know are a very veteran squad and they're trying to quote-unquote two-peat um, with the uh, coronavirus canceling one year in between. But it's bright Friday night lights and Penn loses 31-7. Uh, frankly, they were kind of embarrassed and the game was never in doubt for Dartmouth once. They put up 17 points in the second quarter, and the win percentage for Dartmouth was above 90% by halftime. Joey, what went wrong for Penn? Yeah, this was, I mean, this was kind of, 
not a pretty game for Penn all around. It kind of started. Um, Penn is punting um, for the first time in the game, and the punt's blocked in the return for a touchdown. 7 nothing Dartmouth. Um, so, obviously, Penn needed to come in this game playing mistake-free football if they wanted to hang with a team that, frankly, is, is much more experienced than Penn in a lot of ways, and so is going to be very sharp and very confident on offense. Um, and it looked like Penn was going to respond at first. I mean, their only touchdown of the game came on the following drive. Um, John Quinley responded with a huge 73-yard strike to Ryan Cragen, uh, and then Isaiah Malkin punched it in for the touchdown. And then in the first quarter, we're tied, and, and it looked like Penn uh, has a good chance to stay competitive, but then, like you said, Dartmouth runs away in the second quarter. And it was really just a matter of field position and mistakes for Penn. There was a lot of, of punts for Penn that weren't too great. So Dartmouth frequently would take over, maybe at their own 45, just inside the 50-yard line. Um, so it wasn't hard for them to mount long drives. Uh, they had a really good rushing attack going. Veteran running back Zach Bear had 91 yards, averaged seven to carry, and just kind of was ripping off chunk plays all day long. And then Dartmouth's backup quarterback, Nick Howard, uh, was really the game changer. He had a pair of scores, over 100 yards rushing, uh, running the read option all game. And a lot of the times in the read option, he would just keep the ball, but Penn really had no answer for him. He was a very physical downhill runner. Um, and that's not even accounting for Derek Kyler, who came into this game leading the FCS in completion percentage and passer efficiency rating. And he played a clean ball game too, mistake-free. Um, Dartmouth's only blemish really was a fumble at the goal line um, that was punched out when Howard was trying to take it in. But, I mean, Dartmouth played a clean game. Um, Penn did and John Quinley threw two interceptions, one of which was late in the game. They were just trying to come back. Um, but between the field position, you know, Penn was starting within their own 20-yard line every single time, and then Dartmouth starting just inside the 50-yard line. So it was a lot harder for Penn to mount drives, and they really just couldn't get any momentum going. And so Dartmouth kind of ran away with this one. Yeah, I mean, the more I hear you talk about it, Joey, it kind of seems like, okay, uh, Penn's offense couldn't get anything going. And, uh, okay, our defense can stop them. And, oh, okay, on special teams, we also, you know, gave up a touchdown and, uh, you know, are consistently giving it to them uh, in, our, in our half of the field, I mean, basically. Um, so, I, I, I mean, what does Penn, what does Penn do? Where, where do we go from here? It seems like we were kind of just outclassed in all front. Is this just... I mean, what do we do? Are the players not there? Is it the coaching? What do you say, Joey? Yeah, the solution for Penn is, is kind of unclear. I mean, talk, hearing um, Coach Priori talk in the press conference after the game, you know, he said it's one of those things where this is a long season and, you know, they're getting better every week. I mean, these players are getting better. There is some marked improvement in them every week because at first glance, you know, it looks like this is a very experienced Penn team. Um, Quinley and Malcolm are both veteran upperclassmen, but the thing is, neither of them has really ever seen any game action. Um, Malcolm was behind KK Brooks. Uh, Quinley obviously wasn't the starting quarterback was Nick Robinson two years ago. So neither of these players has really played in game action. So you're going to have those growing pains of these players getting in the game for the first time. Uh, and the problem with that is by the time they, they kind of get those bumps on the road and get that experience, they're going to be graduating. We're have a new class coming in, um, perhaps another junior or senior who is going to get that experience only to graduate and then leave, leave Penn with those holes to fill. Um, so Penn really isn't isn't putting in underclassmen there to get those reps and get that experience that they can one day, you know, run the table in the Ivy League like a team like Dartmouth is doing, where they have all these veteran players who have played for years, um, can play clean football, played together, have gotten reps together. I think that's really what Penn's missing is just playing together, getting reps on the field in games, uh, having that stack up. Because I have no doubt this Penn team will be much better at the end of the year, but you don't really have time in the Ivy League to figure things out, especially when you have a team like Dartmouth that's playing such complete football. You can't really take the time to figure things out in Ivy League games because you're going to get burned, um, just like Penn did here against Dartmouth. Yeah, you make a great point. A uh, season is very short. Every game counts. Um, 
the Quakers are a little bit lucky that they have a little bit of a break from Ivy League action. They play a weaker Lehigh team next week. Joey, what are the keys to the game for Penn there? I think Lehigh, um, and we'll talk about this later, we make some predictions for Lehigh, but I mean, Lehigh has not really scored all season, and Penn's defense has been uh, very talented. I mean, even last night, I mean, at first glance, 31-7, it doesn't look like the defense did a great job, um, but you know, the defense is playing in that sh- against the short Dartmouth team that's taking over in short field, um, and they really did a pretty good job, the Penn defense last night, and did a pretty good job at the line of scrimmage um, with a uh, and Dartmouth team that was very good, but I think the key next week for Penn is going to be just building confidence, uh, having Quinnelly, you know, get some good completions, some, uh, get Craig and Starkey involved, uh, get 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 Quinnelly's confidence up, getting him, um, getting more reps against a team where Penn can, you know, flesh things out more. Maybe put some underclassmen later in the game, get them experience, get the depth going. But I think it's just going to be about building confidence at Lehigh game, so then go in the Ivy play off of a good game rather than a game where. Um, you know, it'll be easier for Quinnelly to come in the Ivy play with more confidence coming off a good Lehigh game versus one where he threw two interceptions against Dartmouth. Okay, so now let's jump into the NFL. Um, man, I'm so happy to have football back. Um, yes, Ivy League football is great, but you know, the NFL is definitely a different cup of tea a little bit. So, um, I think we're going to start sort of just like getting a lay of the land, um, talking about what teams we even think are competitive. You know, obviously there are 32 teams in the NFL, but in any given season, there's really only, you know, eight to 10 that you're, you're caring about. There's, there's only one division winner. There's only, what is it? 14 playoff teams now. It's yeah. They're always changing the playoff structure. So hard to keep up with. <laughs> I know a weird number, but anyways, 14 playoff teams. So we're, we wanted to discuss sort of a large overview and just terms of the NFL divisions, you know, which, which teams are in divisions with, you know, hard schedules. Um, if you're someone like the Rams, the 49ers, something like that, you're playing, for example, if you're the Rams, you're playing the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals at six games out of a 17-week season. Those are all really, really tough teams. They're all teams that are probably going to finish above 500. And so you just look at that and, you know, you look at another team versus like uh, the Titans who have to play the Jaguars and the Texans and the Colts six times. And that's just, you know, a big, big difference. So I think in the NFL, the way the schedule works, there's only 17 games now. Ugh, all these numbers are so weird. But still every single one of those games does matter and if you fall behind into your division you know a, a single game can cost you a playoff spot so for me i think the best division is probably the nfc west i mean to me i think the nfc has been a little bit underrated in the years past um but if you just look at their team i mean let's start with the rams i think as you'll see later i i think they're a really really complete team they easily have a top five defense they have stars who are capable of making plays on defense so it's not just you know a group that's going to get a three and out it's a group that can score points um it's a group that you sort of have to be scared of and honestly you could be expecting the rams to take the ball away um on offense i am a big believer in matthew stafford (laughs) um i know he hasn't done it yet but you know i like to give people the benefit of the doubt and i think a lot of people, you know, in this last season, for example, Giannis gets so much criticism, so much hate for losing two straight. As soon as he wins, the entire narrative is, is flipped. I think for Stafford, that is that potential is there. For me, he's been a top 10 quarterback for the last 10 years in the league. Um, he's always been elite. It's just been a matter of getting him in the right offense, getting him in the right weapons. Um, and this year, I feel so terrible for the Rams because, you know, their running backs got decimated, but it doesn't even seem to matter. Cooper Cup looks like one of the best wide receivers in the league right now. I think Robert Woods could easily look like one of the best wide receivers in the league very shortly. Um, I think he's got all the weapons and, you know, they're really built like a playoff team. So for me, Rams are a great team. I think 49ers, you sort of have a similar construction. 
the Cardinals adding JJ Watt on their defensive end really makes them look elite, you know, completely stuffing Derrick Henry in week one. Um, and I think adding that defensive element is, is great for them because on offense, you have Kyler Murray who can do anything at any single moment. Same thing, Russell Wilson, Seahawks, I'm not going to pretend like they're a good team, but any single time Russell Wilson's on your team, you're a Super Bowl contender. Joey, you think other other uh, West division in the AFC is is superior? Yeah, like you said, Nick, yeah, NFC West is pretty strong. Uh, the 49ers, despite like having constant injuries, has been you know the running back situation for them has been no different than it has in years past. But they still somehow look like the most complete team. You have Stafford making the Rams look really great, um, and then the Cardinals. I always feel bad for them for having to play in such a great division because they're a good team that would probably win a lot of other divisions, but. Exactly. Moving on to what I, I think the AFC West could give a run for its money, the NFC West, just because this is a division that, of course, has the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, everyone knows the storyline with the Chiefs. Um, I think this division is a lot more open than it has been in years past. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is obviously, you know, a game changer. He's obviously maybe one of the best quarterbacks, if people might argue, he's the best quarterback in the game right now. Um, but I don't want to get into that debate today. <laughs> but... They have struggled this year looking with the rushing defense does look a little weaker than it has in years past um, in that week two game against the Ravens, Lamar Jackson and co. Even without, you know, J.K. Dobbins, some of those running backs, they were running all over the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Yeah, yeah, they can't stop anything. But I, I think the argument is, you know, they faced week one, week two, the Ravens and the Browns who probably have the two best rushing attacks. Yeah, and if you're going to give it up. I, yeah, I really don't know if there's any other teams greater than them. So, you know, those are probably the worst two opponents to save. I mean, we'll see how they can recover, but yeah, I totally, they, they can't stop anything right yeah, now. Yeah, that's and, the test. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you have the Raiders, which the storyline with them is kind of interesting. I mean, the, the, this is the Raiders team where John Gruden loves Derek Carr. I mean, they've had every opportunity to bring in a quarterback. They've had every opportunity to send Derek Carr packing like a lot of other teams do to their <laughs> quarterbacks, but he's stuck with Derek Carr and I give John Gruden a lot of credit for that. And I, I give Derek Carr a lot of credit. I think he's a better quarterback than people give him credit for i mean he's a gamer um he's really <laughs> simple he's just like he's, he puts his head down and goes to work um it's a raiders team i don't think they'll win the division but I, and i don't know if they'll even be good at the end of the year but they've started off really well and i'm not sure if this is a team that's going to you know keep running the table finish 11 and 6 i guess it'll be now with these 17 games um or if it's a team that'll falter and we're going to see them be 7 11 at the end, 7 and 10 i guess it is it's so confusing with the numbers like you said yeah um but the broncos are the team that i kind of want to talk about a little bit because they've played some weak teams so far i mean they've looked really great um mm-hmm. and they've beaten a lot of teams and teddy bridgewater's looked really complete in the ways that drew lock has them for them in years past and this has always been a team that people thought was a quarterback away you know they have a great defense and the, the argument against defense in the past has been that they get injured pretty easily and they don't have the depth, but they kind of fixed that. You know, they brought in Patrick Sertain with their first round pick, passing up on Justin Fields and some of those other quarterbacks. Um, they've stabilized the defensive line because the days of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb are probably being on the safe field at the same time are over. I mean, one of those them is kind of always injured at a given time. But I'm interested to see the Broncos when they get into some of those more serious games against the Chiefs, against the Raiders, against the Chargers. Is this team going to be competitive or is this team just, you know, preying on kind of a weaker schedule? And the Chargers, uh, the story there, I mean, Justin Herbert looks great. Uh, They have great offensive weapons. It's a pretty complete team. But I think the AFC West is up for grabs. I think they have a lot of... Like like the NFC West, I mean, there's there's so many good teams and there's so many talented quarterbacks. And there's so many great offenses and some of the question marks are on defense, just like they are in the NFC West a little bit. But I think that both these divisions are kind of hands down. I think the West is where football's reigning supreme right now. Yeah, I think um, I'm just so excited for all these games. Every single year, it seems like the NFC West is such a tight battle, and you have great games between Seahawks and Rams going away, battling you know in Seattle, where it's just like. Every single, it seems like every single game is decided by a last minute drive and either Russell Wilson clutching it or I don't know, Jared Graff choking or something like that, but no longer. So for the Rams, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to see what games those conferences or those divisions produce. Um, but yeah, on an exciting topic, has there 
any has any division taken the throne away from the NFC East as being the worst? In the I, NFL? I, I think it has to be the AFC South a little bit because. I mean, this like you said earlier, the Titans kind of get the benefit of having to play, you know, the Jaguars, the Texans, and I guess it's the Colts. The Colts have a lot of quarterback questions. People thought Carson Wentz, and I even thought Carson Wentz, you know, I've never been a huge believer in Carson Wentz being, mm-hmm. you know, a top five NFL quarterback, but I thought he's a good quarterback. But, you know, he has he's had a lot of issues this year, injuries that looked really uncertain. Um, so I'm not sure yeah. about that Colts team. It's a, it's a team that's pretty ambiguous. It's definitely a team I think we're going to have to see more of to know what's going on with them. The Texans, obviously, quarterback issues have plagued them, and you know, they, they tried out Davis Mills in week two and, you know, they've been trying him out. And that's kind of that just sums up the quarterback situation right there. I mean, he's not a guy that was brought in to be starting football games. And then the Jaguars, they're just going to have to work through it with Trevor Lawrence. It's just going to they're not going to be a great team, but they're just going to have to work through it. He's going to be their starter. They're going to ride with him. And I think the Titans are going to win the division pretty comfortably. And I think they have taken that claim as probably the worst division. Yeah, I saw a reason thing about Urban Meyer calling someone and being like, it's like every week we're playing Alabama. <laughs> and I'm like, welcome to the NFL, Urban Meyer. So I think uh, that's a terrible sign if you're a Jack Rose fan. Personally, I'm a little bit disappointed. I have Trevor Lawrence on my fantasy team and he's being benched for Teddy Two Loves right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I don't think I can argue with it, with you there. I, I'm just sad Tyrod Taylor is, is not playing though. Um, I mean, the Texans looked great. Um, that's all I can say, really. I, I don't know how they are, but, you know, losing Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. But Tyrod looked amazing, um, and it's just unfortunate, you know, that they, you know, are starting. I, I don't even know his name. What yeah, it, the, the Tyrod Taylor experience is, is unfortunate because he's a fun player to watch. And yeah. every year we get two, not sometimes not even two games of Tyrod Taylor to start the year. We did with Baker Mayfield. We've done with all these rookie quarterbacks he's coming to play in front of. I think he was even in front of Justin Herbert for a bit. And he just, you know, he gets a game or two, he looks great. And then, you know, he goes down with an injury or something happens and all of a sudden he's on to the next team. So I don't know. He's almost like Ryan Fitzpatrick in the way he goes to these teams. But the difference is we don't see him later in the season. Once he he's out of the starting job, we generally don't see him again, which, which is disappointing because he looks like a good quarterback a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I think quickly, though, we want to cover, obviously, the most important part of a team is most likely the quarterback. Almost every single year, the MVP award is given to a quarterback. Um, this year, who are you looking at as you know an MVP favorite, or even just a good bet as an MVP? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think for me, it's it's pretty hands down with Tom Brady. I know you have some good stats that we'll, we'll drop uh, in terms of what the success of a, a, the team of the MVP has been like. But Tom exactly. Brady, I, I love I, I love Tom Brady as a competitor. I think that you know I I know it might be an unpopular thing to you know think Tom Brady is, is great and is a great competitor, but I just. I love that he went to a new team and has completely, you know, brought the team on board. I think that speaks to his just his ability as a leader to have brought an entire team on board, a team that was supposed to be kind of one and done, and he managed to convince the rest of the team to come back. This is a Bucks team that looks complete, probably will win their division. Um, and I'll let you get into that because you you kind of have some stats on yeah. what it's like. Yeah, the uh, the past five MVPs have been Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron Rodgers. Um, and respectively, those quarterbacks finished with eleven and five, uh, eleven and five record, first in the division, thirteen and three, first in the division. 12 and 4, first in the division, 14 and 2, first in the division, and 13 and 3, first in the division. So for me, it's really a calculation about which quarterback is going to be winning while putting up these stats. And to me, it looks like Tom Brady wants to go 17 and 0 this season. I hate to say it, and I hate to agree with you, Joey, but I just feel like it might be Tom Brady's time. Every, I mean, I, I just, I hate getting. I hate betting against Tom Brady. He just makes me feel like an idiot. Um, you know, we were doing our, you know, getting into Super Bowl picks, and I'm thinking like, can I bet against the Bucks? Like, is it, is it even reasonable to bet against Tom Brady? Um, but I don't know. He just, he's a wonder. Um, and I think he really does look like the MVP candidate. I think 
I don't want to be uh, misled by the first few weeks of the season. I, I still think that Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterbacking talent in the NFL right now. Um, I think the Chiefs offense is just absolutely unstoppable and they basically can do whatever they want. It seemed like they stopped trying in that Ravens game because they just did not care about winning it anymore. Um, I'm not sure if I should be worried about that, but for me, it's really just the Chiefs can do whatever they want. Um, and so Patrick Mahomes could end up throwing for 50 touchdowns. You know, it's it's only been a few weeks. Um but yeah, so for me, it's it's really a battle between them two. Um, yeah, I think Lamar yeah. Jackson could also be thrown in. I mean, he's with his running backs being kind of you know they're they're on like backups of backups at this point. And, you know, losing Marcus Peters in the secondary, which arguably hurt them even more. I think if he can take that team and win that AFC North, which is a good division. I mean, you got a lot of good teams with the Steelers and the Browns and the Bengals are even better in years past. They're competitive. I think if he can come out of that division first and you know put up some good stats in the way, I think he also has a claim at that. No, absolutely. I think we can sort of see, you know, we've had, we've heard the comparisons between Lamar Jackson as the Giannis of the NFL or whatever, not winning. And so, you know, he's had playoff losses. He's definitely, I know he got his first last year, but still they weren't able to advance. So still, I think question marks remain about, you know, how far can Lamar take his team? It's just super unfortunate that, you know, obviously you said Marcus Peters went down early in the season. Their starting two running backs went down early in the season. Um, it would be a miracle, I think, to, for Lamar to take this team to a Super Bowl. But I think he's capable of it. And, you know, I think if anyone would have said Giannis is going to drop 50 points in the finals and win it, he would have said, OK, get out of here. But yeah. he did it. And so we'll, we'll see if Lamar can conjure something up like that. But, um, yeah, I think overall it's it's a really exciting and open landscape for the NFL. Um, I think, like you mentioned, I agree, the Bucks are a really complete team. But there's just a bunch of electrifying players who I think, you know, any team in can can win four games in a row in the playoffs, and that's a Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm just excited for the NFL season to be back. Yeah, I think this is this is a good a year, a year in the NFL as any in terms of parity, in terms of you know there being competition on any given Sunday. Of course, you still have the teams like the Jets and the teams that are probably not going to win, but even those are exciting because with the Jets, you know, you don't have a bad quarter. You have Zach Wilson, who, you know, he's made he's looked kind of rough to start, but I mean, he's a young guy, and there's still excitement there. So even the teams that are struggling, there's excitement there, and there's a lot of potential. I think it's a good year in the NFL. Okay, so now we're on to, uh, I don't know, my favorite part of the show, Joey. It might not be yours, but this is the part of the show. It's uh, We call it our closing segment. Um, it's a bit that's going to feature a lot of our you know season-long bets. Um, I mentioned how you know the MLB season, or sorry, the playoffs are starting up soon, so we're going to be doing our playoff picks for that. The NBA season starting soon. One thing I love to do with my brother is some season over under bets where you take a few teams and kind of just follow them throughout the course of the season. Joey and I will be doing a little bit of that. Uh, I think most prominently, we're going to be doing our weekly predictions for Penn football games. Uh, you saw Joey allude to it earlier. Um, we're going to be predicting the Lehigh game a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Um, we're going to be having some fun. We're going to be doing some Ben. We're going to be doing some predictions. Uh, yeah, all fun stuff. But uh, most importantly, of course, of course, of course, I know why all you guys came here. My weekly Browns and Grizzlies check-in, where we check in on my boy Kevin Stefanski and Tony Taylor Jenkins. Uh, this week, you know, we're going to focus on the Browns because their season, you know, there, there's a lot to get through for sure. Um, it's been a while since you've heard my voice, guys. But, you know, I'm back on it. I'm here for the Browns. I'm ready for this season. Grizzlies are going to have to wait a little bit, maybe even wait a few years. We're doing some rebuilding. Um, we'll discuss that later, later in the season. Stay tuned. Okay, so we're going to kick off in a few weeks late, maybe, but we're going to do some Super Bowl and Conference Championships uh, predictions. Joey, you want to start it off with the NFC? 
Yeah, no, let's, let's get into it. Like Nia said, we're a few weeks late, but I mean, we've we've gotten to see these teams for a few weeks, so maybe they'll be more educated, more accurate picks. Probably not, but uh, let's get into NFC. So in the NFC, um, I have the Bucks, um, you know, taking the NFC home, and I have them being the, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I don't want to get bet against Aaron Rodgers. I know early in the season, you know, especially after Saints lost, people were kind of writing Aaron Rodgers off, saying that he was, you know, caught up in the drama, that he didn't look like he wanted to be there. I'm not sure I buy into those st- storylines. I think Aaron Rodgers is a competitor. I think he wants to win. Um, and I think the Packers will win. Um, but I think the Bucks will ultimately take it home. Tom Brady, uh, I don't want to bet against him ever. And he just, I know they just lost to the Rams, but... I'm confident Tom Brady being able to pick up the pieces and, and kind of have this team championship ready by the end of the year. I think the story of Tom Brady teams is they get better as the season goes on. I think by the end of the year, they'll be the most complete team in the NFC. Yeah, uh, I'm going to offer a similar take. I think I'm a big believer in the Packers this year. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones are both on my fantasy team. So a, li- a little bit of uh, maybe a little bias. But anyways, um, yeah, I think the Packers, they've had a few years to build. They've had a few years of, of Matt LaFleur and Rodgers sort of gelling. We see that their offense is easily one of the most potent. And I really think that this team is is a complete team, meaning that when they get to the playoffs, their defense is going to do their job. Aaron Rodgers is going to make plays. He's going to throw people open. And like you just saw in this Monday night game against the Niners, they, they can sort of stay. I mean, they were supposed to win that game. And I'd just say the 49ers stayed in that game. But they're not going to crumble. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is always going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's always going to be able to make a play. And as long as they're in those games late in the fourth quarter, you never know if the Packers are going to be able to steal a couple games. And personally, I'm, I'm banking on that this year. I think the Packers are going to be meeting the Bucks. I think they're going to beat them in the divisional round. I think the Rams are going to be looking unstoppable. But to be frank, I just I have a feeling that this is Aaron Rodgers' year. I don't know. I'm a big believer in the Rams. We saw them win that football game against the Bucks. I mean, they didn't just come out with a victory. They easily won that game. It should have honestly been a larger differential. They looked like the better team on offense. It looked like Matthew Stafford knew exactly where Cooper Cup and exactly where Robert Woods were going to be on every single play. A lot of people have been saying Cooper Cup's like a number one wide receiver. I mean, he's playing like it. Their offense seems really unstoppable. Sean McVay looks like a football genius right now, and their defense is going to be top five. They have the greatest defensive player in the league right now, Aaron Donald. I don't know why I'm betting against them, but I just I feel like this is Aaron Rodgers' year. I don't know. It's it's a quarterback's league. It's always been a quarterback's league. And the same way that you always feel iffy about like betting against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl or something like that, I just think that betting against Aaron Rodgers this year, I think he's heard everything. I think he's heard everything that people have to say. He's an egotistical guy, and I think he's got a lot to prove. So I'm going with the Packers to come out of the NFC. I think that's that's fair. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, like you said, he takes it all in. He definitely takes it and he definitely listens to every single one of those comments. I don't think he shuts it out at all. I think he embraces it and kind of is definitely going to use that to push him forward. Yeah. But let's get in the AFC. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, jumping in the AFC, I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, Justin Herbert leading the Chargers. I mean, Justin Herbert is borderline MVP candidate this season. And I mean, he's going to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL for years to come. We're going to be talking about him like we do Mahomes, like we do Lamar Jackson. I absolutely love Justin Herbert. I think he's a great competitor. I think he's an amazing football player. And I think he's just underrated. I don't think he gets the respect that a lot of other players do. But I have the Chargers in the Chiefs and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. And I think the Chargers take it home. Um, it may not be their year. It may be a little early. But I think next year, a lot of people are going to be talking about the Chargers. And I just want to get out front. I want to I want to have it you know, right now that I'm the Chargers guy. So next year, whenever it's hopping on that bandwagon, I've already been there. Um, unfortunately, I do think the Bucks pull out the Super Bowl. But... I think the Chargers will will make it competitive. I think Justin Herbert will, will run the table in the AFC this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to shoot you down, Joey. I, I think you're talking some nonsense. I think the Chargers remind me a, a lot of uh, the Browns last year, maybe even a, a little bit worse, to be honest. Um, I kind of prefer Stefanski, and I prefer the Cleveland defense, especially in the playoffs. But I, I do agree. I think they're going to make the playoffs. 
God, I, I feel so bad for them in their division. That division is just terrible. But anyways, I think they're going to squeeze it out. I think they're, they're probably a better team than the Broncos. I think with Staley um, in his first year, you know, they're going to round into form before playoffs, more so than I think maybe the Raiders. But I think it's definitely a young team, and it definitely takes time for, for everyone to just get used to each other in terms of running plays and in really clicking on the offense. But speaking of the Browns, I do have the Browns this year making it to the AFC Championship. I think... It's just a better team than last year. It's the same team, but they're better. And my question, I mean, we're going to get way into it later, but I I just don't know if they can get over the hump. And that's why I have the Chiefs beating them in the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not going to bet against Mahomes. Sorry, did I say the Super Bowl? I meant the AFC Championship. But you do have the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, too. I do also have the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, also winning. So... I guess that's my prediction. Yeah, I, I, the young gun. I got to go with Mahomes. All everything that I said for Rodgers is even truer for Mahomes, in my opinion. He makes plays like nobody else. I think even if nobody's open, he makes a play somehow. He throws guys open better than anyone else in the league, um, and that's what it comes down to. If you need a play, I think I don't care about the defense. I don't, and I don't care about running the ball. They have <laughs> Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, and Patrick Mahomes, and that's what I care about. Chiefs for the Super Bowl this year. I think that's fair. I mean, the, the holes in the Chiefs are, I mean, those arguments are the defense and the running game where Clyde Edwards-Alaire, um, people are already calling for his job. Like, he's just kind of mediocre and people aren't sure if, you know, he's the answer. But, I mean, like, I think it's a complete team. I think people are looking for problems um, and really nitpicking with a team that's definitely championship caliber. I mean, they're I mean, they're obviously sitting towards the bottom of the division, but I don't think the Broncos at 3-0, mm-hmm. um, or, I mean, we're recording this a little early, so if they've gotten the win, I don't think the Broncos or the Raiders are better than this team. Um, the Chargers I, I do think is better than this team, but that, who knows? I think the Chiefs are a good, complete team. I think you're, you're perfectly right to put them there. Yeah, I, I mean, this just might be one of those things where you say, okay, well, you know, late in the season, the Chiefs finish, let's say, like 11 and 6, and you know that they're a Super Bowl caliber team caliber team but for some reason you know they're losing these games in the regular season and then it comes to the playoffs and let's say they lose in the first or second round and everyone says oh we could have seen this coming oh we could have seen this coming you know that hindsight bias in week one and week two we saw all these signs that this Chiefs team you know they couldn't stop the run that they had a mediocre run game and I just think that's nonsense I mean it's the playoffs you lose a game but let's not kid ourselves Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest quarterbacks he's to ever play already I think the Chiefs are always a Super Bowl contender and they're going to be in the playoffs I have no doubt about that um, and it's just going to come down to a game and if they can get it done. And, you know, most of the time Patrick Mahomes has. Sometimes he doesn't, but that's how it goes. Um, yeah. And let yeah. us not forget that the Buccaneers also last year on the Super Bowl win did not look like a complete team for the first half of the year. Obviously, circumstances are a little different, but still, teams, it's a long NFL season. I mean, now it's 17 weeks, even longer. So there's a lot of time for them to figure things out. This is a Chiefs team going through some changes. So I think that by the end of the year, I think they'll have it figured out. Getting into our Lehigh prediction now, I'm hoping for something good, Joey. I, I mean, I need it. I can't handle I mean, if we lose to this Lehigh team, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be here at this game. I might just go cry in my bed after on Saturday night. I don't know if I'm going to be a handle loss. Um, personally, I'm a little bit... I know Lehigh has not scored a touchdown all season. Um, I, I think they're going to score a touchdown. I think they're going to score a touchdown, but... Guys, I'm not that much of a non-believer. I think Penn's going to take this one 38-10. I really think that our offense is going to get going. I think they they know that they need to get going. Um, Ivy League play is really, really going to get started right after this week, and this is basically their only chance to get another win. They're going to hopefully climb back to 500 and forget about this Dartmouth loss. But, you know, I think they really need a strong performance on offense to really say, yeah, yeah, we can go out against any defense and sort of do our thing and make them react to us rather than sort of, you know, feeling overwhelmed by a defense and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping the offense gets on track 
Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Nikki. I think this is a big passing day for Quinley. I think that he's gonna we're gonna see him connect with Craig and see him connect with Starkey. And I think Isaiah Malcolm will get the running game going. I think we're gonna see him rip off some chunk plays. So I think this is a, this is a game where Penn should be building confidence in, on the offensive side of the football. Um, I have them at 28 point, putting 28 points on the board. I don't think they're gonna have a, a super big offensive day, but I think it'll be a, a good for a team that's really struggled offensively so far this season. And I do not have them letting up a touchdown. I have a 28-3. Um, I'm a big believer in the Penn defense. I think they were putting some tough spots against Dartmouth, and they did pretty well. In held their own and against the Lehigh team that hasn't scored a touchdown all year. I don't see things changing against this Penn defense, um, but I think we both have it as a, a pretty big blowout win for Penn. Okay, let's get to my favorite part of the segment, the closing, closing segment, the Browns check-in. Uh, just because the NFL, uh, sorry, the NBA season is not quite underway yet. We're going to do a whole lot of Browns today. So, this is being recorded on Saturday, October 2nd. The Browns have played three games. They're going into a game against Minnesota tomorrow at Minnesota. It's the first time that Kevin Stefanski is returning to Minnesota since leaving as their offensive coordinator in 2019. Um, since he's been to the Browns, we've actually seen him construct a very, very similar team, both offensively and uh, th- hopefully not defensively, honestly, because Minnesota has a terrible defense. Um, but they've gotten a little bit lucky with, you know, Miles Garrett, uh, other big names on the defensive front. But anyways, um, I think the teams are built pretty similarly. They have you know bruising run attacks for the Browns. They have Kareem Hunt and they have Nick Chubb, all pro caliber players. For the Vikings, they obviously have Dalvin Cook um, and even Alexander Madison as a backup who's very, very serviceable. Um, and they also have those skill players on the outside. Obviously for the Browns, you're getting a little bit less production than you want from Odo Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and those guys. Um, but obviously the Vikings have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, who are two of the best slot wide receivers. I'll, I'll kind of call them like skilled talent wide receivers. We see that prototype being replicated a lot in the NFL. Kind of started with like the Cole Beasley type. Now we have like Cooper Cup, obviously, C.D. Lamb, Adam Thielen, like I said. Guys who can really run those like sharp routes. Um, so I think Minnesota tends to run a little bit of a quicker offense than them. Um, Kirk Cousins, you know, tends to throw the ball in like the top 10 of the league, whereas Baker Mayfield sort of the the way they run their offense is a little bit more drawn out, a lot more play action. Uh, Mayfield ranks in the bottom half of average time. And I really think that this is going to benefit the Browns later on in the season and especially in the playoffs. And the reason why I prefer them to a team like Minnesota, even though you see them built so similarly on offense. And that's because the, the, the Browns are really built for ball, uh, ball control. And the two-headed running attack is going to be disastrous for a lot of teams to deal with in the playoffs. I think when you can mix, mix and match your running attack on the same drive, it really poses a lot of uh, issues for defenses adapting on the same drive to two different types of runners. Nick Chubb is really bruising up the gut. Kareem Hunt, they run a lot of screenplays for him. They run him out of the backfield on pass-catching opportunities. But I'll just say, we know that they're a playoff team. We know that they're a play or a drive away and that it's really going to come down to to players making plays. And I know that sounds stupid, but Baker Mayfield is going to have his opportunities. There's going to be third and eights where the Browns get stuffed in the fourth quarter where for some reason the running tack just isn't working and Baker Mayfield is going to need to play. We know that the Browns are a playoff team and we know that last season they were basically a drive away, a play away from being the Chiefs in the divisional round. We saw week one open up with a very, very similar result. It seemed like the Browns should have won that game. They absolutely crumbled and ended up losing again by possession on, you know, Mahomes doing crazy stuff. But Mahomes exists and Mahomes does crazy stuff. And if you want to win in the playoffs, you got to kind of beat that. Um, so... What am I saying? I think the Browns need to make plays. They're going to be in uh, competition. I think they're going to end up winning their division around 12 and 5 and 13 and 4 
or 13-4, and we're going to go into the wins a little bit. But I really think that they're going to be a top seed. I think they're going to have home field advantage. I think I'd be very surprised if they lost any wildcard matchup. Um, I think if they have it at home, their running attack is just a lot unless they get a horrible matchup with, let's say, like the Ravens, who stop the run very well. But for the most part, I think they're going to run over teams. I think they're going to win the division, like I said, and I think it's going to come down to can they win that divisional matchup against you know a really, really solid Chiefs S team? Can they beat the Bills in the playoffs in Buffalo? Something along those lines. And for me, I can't answer that. I, I would like to say yes, obviously. I love the Browns so much, and I believe in this team. And I believe that they're a lot better than last year, which I think is the bottom line. But I really just can't believe it until I see it. And that's the nature of the playoffs. That's the nature of... Of, of any sport really and that's the nature of how I work so until I see the Browns make it uh, I can't I can't really say that they're going to make it I guess okay I mean I agree with you I think that I think they, they beat this Minnesota team I think they're a good team but I think there's also a lot of question marks um, but how about you dive in I, I know you've looked at the schedule have done some analysis of what you think the Browns need to do what games they need to win um, what games they can afford to lose um, and what their overall path looks like to the record you see them having yeah absolutely so I'll just do a little bit of rewind of the season so far they currently sit at two and one uh, like I said, week one, they opened up against the Chiefs. Probably should have won that game. Next week, went to the Texans. Should have won by more. Uh, I lost on the betting line. You know, it was 12 and a half. They only won by 10. Should have been a 30-point win. But nonetheless, I can't complain about a win. The Bears, I'm very impressed about. Week three, they've had a dominant performance. Their defense only allowed, I think, six points to the Bears. No touchdowns. And this is exactly the type of performance that tells you, you know, what this defense is going to be in the postseason. Can they win you a game? Can Miles Garrett have a, I mean, not four and a half sack performance, but can he be a difference maker and make a key play when they need it? Can he force a fumble? You know, just get that one possession, uh, get that one sack to force a punt. Those plays absolutely matter in these games, which are going to be very close, very, very about ball control. Like I said, the Browns want to play a game that's all about ball control. So, yeah, looking at their schedule, I'm going to say these are should be wins. They play the Vikings. I think they are going to trounce them. Like I said, this game is going to be played tomorrow. But I, I'm going to tell you that the, the Browns should beat the Vikings in this game. Um, then they play the Lions. That should be a win. The Steelers look terrible this year. I think in uh, in Cleveland, that should be an easy win. The Bengals, although they sit in three at one, I, I expect the Browns to win both those games. And then the need to win slash I don't know if they're going to win games. Um, ones that, you know, if they win half of them, that's great for them. Um, Steelers at Pittsburgh. I, I know I just I hate them so much. Big Ben falls down on his own. Um I just don't know if they're going to win in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's it's definitely tough, and it's a, it's a long season. You can't win every game. So I, I'm expecting that they might drop that. New England is a game that they should win. They're a better team than then, but once again, um, it's not going to be an easy win. I mean, they, these are NFL-caliber teams. Uh, Chargers are in a similar realm. Cardinals are in a similar realm. I, I'm especially worried about the, the front for the Cardinals, if they can stop the run. I don't know if Baker is really going to be able to make plays through the air to keep up with Kyler. Lamar Jackson also, we have the Ravens on the schedule. So Lamar and Kyler Murray, I think, are two players that even on defense, if you have a really strong defense, if you have a, a team that can stop the run, I just I think those difference makers can sort of crack the defense and, and just make those plays, um, even if you prepare for them as best you can. Losses, I know that there has to be a few. At Baltimore, I think that's going to be a really hard game for them to win. Um, the Packers, I again, I think Aaron Rodgers is that type of guy who can probably dissect the Browns' defense. Um, I, I just I don't know how I feel about the defense yet. I'm going to need some statement wins against some of these, you know, 
can they destroy New England? Can they destroy the Packers? You know, I, I just need some proof of that throughout the regular season, I think. Um, but similarly, the Broncos, they're a tough team. They have a tough defense. I think that's just going to be a close game. It'll probably come down to a score or two. And, you know, they might pull it out. They might not. But ultimately, that puts about six must wins on their, on their uh, record, which is about nine wins. And then they need to get, you know, three or four of those 50-50 games that I mentioned against the New Englands, against the Chargers, against the Cardinals, um, and especially, you know, securing those home wins are most important for them. So, yeah, ultimately have them finishing. I know if I'm feeling bold, I'm going to say 13-4. and four. That's three more losses on the rest of the season. So I'm going to go at Baltimore, Packers, and Broncos for my three losses. Um but yeah, I think they're going to win the division, and, and ultimately, I think it's going to come down to you know Miles Garrett making plays in the playoffs, other defensive players stepping up. I think it's going to come down to Baker Mayfield making those third and eleven plays, and and ultimately, I think you know it's a it's a super well coached team. I don't think they're going to be making too many errors in the playoffs. I don't really feel like there's going to be any lapses of judgment, and I feel like if they lose a playoff game, it's going to be because they got outplayed or something along those lines. At least I'd hope. All right, that's a wrap for us in the studio. Nikki and I always enjoy these podcasts, and uh, we'll be back again next week, so stay tuned when Nikki gives that Calling All Quakers call, and we'll talk to you guys next week. The majority of this episode was recorded on Sunday, September 26th, with additional add-ins recorded on Saturday, October 3rd.